as you know, we've been doing this series of sermons uh, on the hard sayings of Jesus. And if you looked in your bulletin this week, you'll notice that the, the hard saying of Jesus is, and no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. Now, the interesting thing is, as you listen to the reading today, try to listen to this with an open mind, but I also understand that you are all very familiar with the story of the wineskins, the old wine and the new wineskins and the old wineskins. So here we go. I'm going to back up to the 31st verse. Jesus heard it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I am here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to change life. Be changed inside and out. They asked him. John's disciples are well known for keeping fasts and saying prayers. Also the Pharisees. But you seem to spend most of your time at parties. Why? And Jesus said, When you're celebrating a wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and the wine. You feast. Later, you may need to pull in your belt, but that isn't the time. As long as the bride and the groom are with you, you have a good time. When the groom is gone, the fasting can begin. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. The kingdom is come. No one cuts up a fine silk scarf to patch old work clothes. You want the fabrics to match. And you don't put wine in old cracked bottles. You get strong, clean bottles for your fresh vintage wine. And no one who has ever tasted fine-aged wine, prefers unaged wine. Well, amen. How many, how many wine drinkers do we have here? Amen. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And that, that's a true statement. Amen? The older the wine, the more expensive it is. And, you know, and I've watched it. I'm not much of a wine drinker. I'm, I'm, I'm a harder guy. I, you know, me and Jack are good friends. And uh, <clears throat> I prefer that. But, you know, I've watched these wine shows, you know, where they, they pour the wine and then they, they sit there and they swirl it around in the cup and they sniff it. And it's like, oh, my God, really? To me, wine tastes, it's either too, what I guess what you call dry, or it's too sweet. But when you listen to this message, when you hear Jesus talk, when you hear this scripture read, we're going we're gonna to play here for a minute. Tell me what you heard. What did you hear Jesus saying to these folks? Because he said a whole lot. And my guess is that we're all going to miss the most important point. I know I did until I started studying for this. First of all, the first thing that should jump out at you is the first thing he says in setting this up is when he says, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Actually... That's not what he said. Because the healthy need a doctor too. That's how they stay healthy. What did he say? He said, 
Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I am here inviting, inviting the outsiders, not the insiders, an invitation to a changed life. So the very first thing that Jesus tells us in this series of examples is that whatever it is that you've been doing, you maybe need to take a second and stop and ask yourself, what do I need? Is there a better way? Is there something different? Because when I went back and, you know, doing this whole exegetical writing thing, um, one of the nice things about me not writing sermons down is I could just make a copy and cut it out. Listen to this. Expositors have been scratching their chins and nodding their heads for a long time over the double parallel parable of Luke 5, 36 through 39. The meaning of the parable seems obvious. The new garment is the gospel, grace, kingdom, church, and the old garment is the old covenant, law, and Judaism. No one tears a new garment to patch an old one. Grace and law do not mix. So the brother's kind of right. You know, if you're doing something because, it's kind of hard to have a different attitude about that, right? Similarly, the new wine is the gospel, and the old wineskin is the old covenant. Just as the new wine would burst old wineskins and be spilled, so too the new covenant gospel of the church kingdom would be wasted if it's poured into the old covenant. Wow. Now, I, before anybody just said that I became anti-Jewish in, in that statement, I'm not. But what is being said is if you're introduced to something that gives you life, that allows you to be flexible, then you ought to pay attention to that. Because if you try to put it into the old way, it is going to conflict. It is why, my friends, that gay people have such a hard time with the old standard church. Because they're trying to fit a new understanding of God's love into a wineskin, and baby, it is burst. It doesn't. Because you can't get your head wrapped around something that you've been told all your life. Now what has this got to do with Jesus though? What? Why is this a hard saying? Why, why did you pick on this? Because Jesus was not making a new church, folks. Jesus wasn't trying to get rid of Judaism. But what he was doing was going to them and saying, listen, you need to pay attention. If you're already in the church, if you've already got a faith, you all are doing fine. But there's a whole bunch of people out there that don't think they belong. And that's who I'm here for. Is to let them know that they belong to God as well. And by the way, yes, this is new wine. It is a new message. And trying to pour it into the old way of doing things, it's going to cause it to burst. You all understand that. You, the wine drinkers, you know the whole thing about old wineskins and new wineskins, right? <clears throat> because in wineskins, what's the wine do? It ferments. What happens to an 
old wine skin, once it's used, it gets hard. It gets brittle. You see where I'm going with this? How many of you have traditions that don't allow you to do certain things? How many of you make decisions on who you're going to be friends with based on old traditions? I got to give it some thought whether I have an Arab friend. I got to do some homework if I'm going to hang with non-Christians. And yet the message of Christianity is that everybody belongs. That everybody is invited in. That we all have a common God. That is a new message because we know that what Judaism said was what? They were the people, right? And you had to follow 647, thank you, 647 laws to be okay. <laughs> Understand what Jesus did. He turned all of that stuff completely upside down. Do you remember when he was teaching people? He's in a house. The crowd is so massive that there's a guy in town who is sick. He's paralyzed. He can't move. And one of his buddies is like, you know, I hear this guy, Jesus, can heal. i got to get my friend there. So he goes and he recruits three people to pick up the mat and carry it to Jesus. And you've heard me preach that sermon before because if we, if we, if we turn the clock ahead, we know that guy that's paralyzed on the mat. We all know him. We call him curmudgeons. We call them set in their ways, that nothing is going to get better, that it can't get any better. There's no reason for me to leave the house. There's no reason for me to go over there. Traffic is going to be too bad. Have you ever been out in Atlanta traffic? I ain't going over there. Plus the fact we're not even going to be able to get in. The tickets are too damn expensive. That's exactly what this guy had to be saying to his friends, and his friends are like, no, 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 no. I am not giving up. If there's a chance for you to get some healing or feel better about yourself, then we're going to do it. And they pick him up. And you got to know that the whole time they're going to that house, he is doing nothing but bitching. And then when they get to the house, what do they see? There's too crowded. It is too crowded. They can't get near the door. Do you know what the guy in the mat is saying? Because we all have this friend. I told you. We should have just stayed at home. There ain't no service here. We ain't getting in. Well, what's his buddy do? Well, hell, that's no problem. We're just going to climb up on the roof. We'll knock a hole in the roof. Of course, that's a little out of our realm of understanding today, right? Because if that happens today, there's going to be a SWAT team called to come get you off that roof. Say that again. Amen. So, they go up and they knock a hole in the roof. And that's another whole sermon but the interesting thing is, here's where Jesus turns things upside down. Because number one, this is an uninvited guest. Number two, he's being really rude. And so are his friends. Number three, they've damaged property. And yet, when you read that story, the very first thing that Jesus says, as soon as the guy is lowered through the roof, comes face to face with Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, you're forgiven. How many of you are paralyzed in your life and you can't get moving? 
because somehow you and God just, well, you're just not working it out very well. And some friend of yours takes the extra step effort and drops you right in front of God. How many of you get to experience that same thing that Jesus said? You're forgiven. He didn't ask him what he needed to be forgiven for. We don't even know if he was paralyzed because he was so depressed that he couldn't walk, whatever it was. But the very first words out of Jesus' mouth was, you're forgiven. What's the very first words out of the traditional church's mouth when you walk into the church? Are you saved? Are you saved? Please put an offering in the basket. Oh, you have to stop. No, no, don't do that. I, um, that, that was my hyperbole. <laughs> um, are you drinking? Then you need to quit drinking. Do you not have a job? Then you need to get a job. Jesus had it right. The very first thing we need to hear in our relationship with God when we look in that mirror is that we are forgiven. How much better are you going to be knowing that God is on your side because you know that you've got God's forgiveness. Who the hell is going to tell you that you're not worth anything if you know in your heart of hearts that you've got God? Jesus was completely turning the message of the church upside down. What about the tax collector? Maybe that hits a little closer to home because it's easier for us, isn't it? to relate to somebody who's logical in us hating them. Amen? We talk bad about the IRS all the time, don't we? I know, you know, listen, I have to be careful what I say in public sometimes because I, I realized I was at a party one time and I was just slamming. I was just slamming the IRS and taxes and all this kind of stuff. And somebody standing next to me said, oh, Pastor Paul, I want you to meet so-and-so. And I, I shook their hand and said, oh, it's really great to meet you. What do you do? Because we, you know, and they say, "Oh, I work for the IRS." <laughs> I was hoping, like hell, they didn't have my social security number, <laughs> or they didn't even know me, <laughs> or they wouldn't find my phone number because I was pretty sure I was going to get audited for all the things I said. But we, we, you know, the tax collector is a great idea of people that we feel okay and not liking. Is there somebody in your life that you can sit here and tell me, Pastor? I have no use for this person. None. Zero. And then you'll be getting close to how that tax collector was viewed in Jesus' time. What did Jesus do? Out of all the people that were around him, all the folks that were following him around that day, he went to that tree where this guy was sitting, watching him, and said, Hey, come on down. We're going to have lunch today. Now, don't you know, between the guy that had dropped through the roof and the Pharisees saying Jesus forgave him and who the hell does he think he is, now he's dealing with a tax collector. This is not the way we do things. Do you not understand? And how many of you heard that in the churches that you grew up in when you wanted to do something that was different? This is not the way we do it will not work.
The Pharisees tried to go after Jesus for not keeping the fast, not washing their hands. So what becomes really key to this story then is why did Jesus spend so much time doing that? Because he had another message for us. The one that we, we don't want to talk about. It is what makes church an individual relationship with God so hard. And that is this. If you've drank from the old and you've managed to survive, you are not going to be immediately wanting to try something different. Jesus' warning to us is if you're going to commit, you remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the statement where Jesus made that statement that, you know, you eat my body, drink my blood, and everybody thought that Jesus was telling us to be cannibals. And we figured out that it really was just a, a turn of a phrase, you know, that when you've worked to exhaustion, when you've committed yourself to a task to exhaustion, that turn of phrase in the day was, I ate my body, I drank my blood. And so Jesus was saying, look, you have to have this kind of commitment to God. And then last week when the vicar talked about what she talked about, and now we get to this week and we're talking about, oh yeah, I understand that old wine and new wine, they don't get along. And I understand that you got to put new wine and new stuff. I get all that. But what you don't stop to think about, and this is why churches sometimes are empty. This is why it's so hard to pray in the morning. It's why it's so hard to talk about your relationship with God. Because once you've done the old, then the new isn't especially appealing. It is why it is hard to get people that are in abusive situations out of that situation. Why? Because at point A, they know they're going to get beat. They know that it's bad. But when you take them out of that and you put them over here at point B, they have no idea what's going to happen. And the fact that you're telling them that they're going to be free and better, they're looking at you saying, like, hell, I don't know. I'd rather be here so I know what's coming. In the old church, folks, this is the message that the church has missed. The church, our faith, our spirituality is changing, and we need to prepare to live in that changing world. If we keep trying to fit the church and our faith into old traditional beliefs, it is going to spill out and be worthless. I had somebody sit here and tell me this morning, when I showed up here, he was just somebody from the neighborhood sitting here as I came in to get ready. And I asked him where he was from, he told me his name, we had small talk, <coughs> and I told him we were getting ready for church. And he looked at me and he said, oh, and I said, you're more than welcome to stay. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, that's the devil's playground. If we keep doing it the old way, folks, then it's going to spill on the ground and it's going to be wasted. We have to start doing things differently. That means that we have to start looking at the homeless as children of God, not something to be dealt with. We need to start looking at each other as a creation of God, not something to be dealt with. We need to start living our lives as if every person we meet, every person we meet 
is as important as the most important person in your life. That is why this is a hard saying. Because we could talk all we want about, yeah, I know that when you got new stuff, you got to put it in new stuff. And you don't put a patch on, on something and call that new. I get that. That makes perfect sense. Then take the next step. Understand that the church that we live in today, the world that we live in today, is the new wine. And the way we behave towards each other has got to be the new covenant. Or we will die alone and bitter. God bless you.